0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name's Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel back, which means we are very fortunate to have Rebecca Lynch back from Ireland, from the Working Families Party. Rebecca back from visiting the motherland. Good to have you back, Rebecca.
1: Good to be here, Matt.
0: And as always, we have Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you.
2: Good day, everyone.
0: So, folks... The end is near. And so I face the final cousin. Ah, yes.
2: So Jim Sensenbrenner. Lived, no. Matt, are you retiring oh, from Battleground Wisconsin, Matt? I am leaving. No, we are
0: <laughs> playing this for Jim Sensenbrenner, who has decided to retire. And, and, more, and of course, Jim Sensenbrenner did it his way worse. and made sure to tell everybody did he it did it his way. Yes, yeah, so we're going to. Anyways, so obviously yesterday, uh, which is Wednesday, we got the news that Jim Sensenbrenner has decided to retire from Congress. This is um, a bit of a surprise. Uh, Sensenbrenner's been around for, this would be if he had run his 22nd term, uh, 40 plus years, second longest serving. Um, But he is a, a, a part of a trend now here, not only in Wisconsin, but nationally of Some prominent GOP uh, folks not running for uh, re-election, namely here recently uh, we've had uh, uh, Sean Duffy step down, but also most recently Paul Ryan, Scott Walker. So we have a real changing of the guard, and he's the 15th, I think, uh, GOP uh, congressional uh, leader to step down and say they're not going to run. Um, but hey, we're, let's, I want to kick this to the panel and g- get some immediate thoughts. We'll start with Robert, because Rebecca, you've had less experience with Jim Sensenbrenner. Robert's had a lot that predates even his professional career. But um, we're talking about a guy who, who's best known for the Patriot Act. He's also known for uh, being one of the uh, House leaders of impeachment, um, I would argue these of, on the, of
2: of Donald Trump, <laughs> of, Matt.
0: <laughs> yes, of of uh, Bill Clinton for. <laughs> yes, oh, okay, right, okay. exactly. Uh, the, speaking of consistency. Um, on the positive side, he was always honest and candid, if not very candid, <laughs> if not brusque, uh, and very open to the public. Uh, did about a hundred town halls a year, and um, did those town halls in a way where he took. Tough questions and uh, would get into it with uh, opponents. So not someone who uh, cowered behind, say, like his uh, supposedly uh, Paul Ryan was his, um, uh, he was a mentor for Paul Ryan who often couldn't be found. Um, So Sensenbrenner, Robert, get us started on our our conversation. Of of
2: course, on the open town halls, of course, there's my recollection of him having Leah Vukmir, the state senator, with him during the uh, Act 10 controversy, and there were so many people asking questions and uh, and, and demanding answers that he ended the whole thing and stomped off with her. So that comes to mind. But I can tell you— That's a vintage Sensenbrenner town hall. Since my politics started as student politics, that he was notorious in, like, United Council— a U.S. Student Association circles, because he, you'd always get the meeting with the congressman, but then the congressman would tell you, why should I help pay for your college? Yeah. And then insist that I paid for mine, you should pay for yours. Of course, he's actually the heir to the, one of the Kimberly yes. Clark fortunes. So thank you, Mr. <laughs> Sensenbrenner. And the other thing about him is uh, he kind of started his career as to the right of Attila the Hun, an his own party. And then he kind of ends his career as mainline. Like the Huns have taken over the Republican Party. And my apology to anyone of Hun uh, descent who is offended by that.
0: <laughs> offended, yes. Rebecca,
1: um, I, you know he he was also like Trump-style racist before yes. it was cool. Yes. So you know, really not sorry to see him yes. go. But uh, the the most that I really know about him are his like controversial comments that I actually didn't even realize were him. Um, until just kind of reading it now about uh, our former first lady, Michelle Obama, but really
0: despicable. Yeah, couldn't help himself and kept making the comments about her. So
1: (laughs) weird. Like, wow, Uh, that's like a lot to dig into there. But yeah, you know, not sorry to see him go. And we were talking before the show, Matt, about how he made some comments you had said when he made his announcement that he wanted to go out on his own terms. Yeah, just
0: it was was vintage Sensenbrenner, very blustery and kind of like bit self absorbed right all about how he was going to do this on his own terms and he he didn't want any pretense that he was being forced out and um, you know, I, I get that at some level, but, but it was vintage Sensenbrenner, and it, you know, t- but in also, my like, mind.
1: does just anyone really believe that he would be leaving if it was a good electoral year for Republicans, or that so many Republicans would be leaving that he's part of this wave? Yeah,
2: well, he just may not like the uh, authoritarian rule of Nancy Pelosi. That would be an well, alternative theory. I um, <laughs> I wanted to get your comments
0: on his comment that. He essentially said that he was happy to step down now and leave the district because the district and our Republican Party, and most important, our country, is in a better place than when he began his service. I mean, it's hard to argue the country currently (laughs) and and the party currently, as it's constructed, um, is in a better place. Uh, When
1: did he enter Congress?
0: Robert, that's a good question. I, I I'm. Uh, we, we we're talking the about the '80s, here. right? In the late
2: '70s, early '80s. Uh, 40, 40, num- years 40 years in Congress. 40 years. 40 40 years, yeah, seventy-nine. Years in Congress, Fifty in public office. Yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, twenty-three thousand eight hundred eighty-two House votes cast, and I'm sure all wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, one other small, little interesting fact about Sensenbrenner: he won the lottery twice, and <laughs> I think one time, I know a guy who had so much money Robert you mentioned you know came from wealth or ma- married into wealth mm-hmm. i think is is more accurate but you know and then a congressman not not a poor poor paying job but he won the lottery twice including once it was multi over a million like 2 million or a million or 2 million dollars it was uh which is also fascinating that he regularly clearly plays the
2: lottery <laughs> but he did not go back quite far enough to have voted against the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, but I think we can trust he would have.
0: So um, we're going to have to say goodbye to Sensenbrenner, but of course that immediately means we have a contested election. Now this is one of the more Republican seats uh, in the state, if not the country, um, and has been solidly... uh, Won by Republicans, whether that be Trump or Evers. So this is really a Republican primary, um, and it didn't take long for a number of names to get thrown in. Leah Vukmir is back; uh, her name has been thrown in. Oh well, I'm glad.
2: Well, it was really sad to see her public service end. So that's a, a silver lining. Well, actually, Kapenga. Uh, irony, folks. Don't don't write me don't write me negative emails.
0: <laughs> Kapenga's name has come up. Um, Paul Farrow, county exec in uh, Wa- mm, Waukesha the County. The
2: Farrow clan versus the... the Scott's
0: Fis- Scott's fit- Scott Fitzgerald, uh, the mm. Senate, Senate majority leader. Um, Rebecca Clayfish has come up as a potential uh, candidate. Um, I I would not be surprised if Dale Coyunga also wouldn't uh, take a look at this, given uh, his mm. Senate seat is... Uh, looking much more
2: precarious uh, that's a his, deep
1: bench that's yeah. a deep bench of candidates
2: It's um. it, it, this is the heart of the Republican Party Waukesha yeah. County and surrounds and I fit Cheryl's into Dodge County but uh, I would say quite frankly that the most enjoyable if assuming a Republican's going to win would be to have a congresswoman clayfish that might be bring a lot of you know comedy central about, humor
0: you just want fodder for the show Roberts <laughs> <laughs> Well, it'll be interesting to see if any Democrats get in. Uh, again, the numbers are rough. Uh, Trump, I think, had fifty-seven percent, but this does have parts of the suburbs that are trending against Trump. I actually believe Trump has a chance to do worse than fifty-seven percent this time around. Um, but this, you know, does that get does that trickle down to a congressional candidate? you know, where it could get into play. Not likely. Uh, Tom Powitz has already announced uh, via Twitter last night that he will run, but it'll be interesting to see if any other Democrats uh, get in and just see this as an opportunity, which I do think it is. It's part of an opportunity to go out and compete in these areas and be a part of continuing to change our suburbs. Uh, there are, you know, whole swaths of, of, of this district that are changing and are becoming more democratic, and actually having a contested congressional race where uh, you know we have on our side candidates out hustling, talking to voters, I think is really important, and I think could be very helpful. Um, and I really hope more folks get in. Uh, nothing against Tom, right? Tom's Tom's a great guy, and I know a lot of people like him. Uh, and you know, for challenging district, ran aggressively last time, but um, it'll be interesting to see. We'll have to watch it. Uh, But with that, we are going to take our first break. When we get back, it's been a while. We haven't had the poll curmudgeon. Pay a visit to the podcast. Uh, the Marquette poll came out yesterday, so uh, Robert uh, Craig, aka the poll curmudgeon, is going to uh, visit like with us fun. and t- tell us tell us everything about why the Marquette I'm, poll
2: is. I'm is... sorry to dampen your Christmas morning like enthusiasm Wait, for the stop. release of every Marquette I've poll. I've got
0: I have got to take a break. You're listening to the battleground Wisconsin. Where citizen action, you can find us citizen action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're talking presidential politics. Before we do that, though, we're actually going to dive into the Marquette Poll. Um, want to remind our listeners that our annual Brewfest fundraiser is coming up this uh, September 19th, Thursday, September 19th. So just a couple weeks away. Uh, it's going to be a great time. It's at the Coakley Brothers here in Milwaukee, which is... Brian, I want to get this right, 400 South 4th Street. South 5th Street, 5th. excuse me. Don't want to send you to the wrong block. You can't miss it. It has an absolutely gorgeous uh, piece of artwork at the top of the building of what is like an old New York City-style water uh, water tower on top of a building that's uh, made out of colorful stained glass. It's actually one of the uh, cooler pieces of art here in Milwaukee, but we're really happy to have that. Again, Thursday, September 19th. Uh, We're going to have a number of uh, really cool uh, silent auction items, including an evening with Hamilton's Renee Goldsberry. So we have four tickets to see her with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. That will also include a meet and greet. So... Um, this, uh, this is a great prize, uh, which we'll have at our silent auction. Uh, if you can't make our event, we're going to have a way for you to be able to bid on those tickets, uh, f- for Renee Goldsberry. So, uh, we'll have more information, uh, later on in about a week or two about the Brew Fest. but we'll see you on Thursday, September 19th. So let's talk Marquette Law Poll came out yesterday. This again is for what it's worth, uh, It's become sort of the gold standard for polling here in Wisconsin in terms of it consistently comes out. It tracks a number of things that we can start to see over time. Um, And so we have news. The biggest news that comes out is all presidential-related and want to get our panel's response. But the top lines are uh, Joe Biden continues to lead the Democratic primary uh, but also appears, some of this stuff is margin of error, uh, to be the strongest candidate against Trump um, with about, I think it's a nine-point spread. Um, but also Bernie Sanders uh, has a lead against Trump, a four-point spread, which I believe gets right around, you know, it's within the margin. But Robert, I'm going to throw it to you first just to throw a little shade. I'll just I i just say, I actually, this time when I'm looking at these numbers, um, I do see just a lot of, you know, name recognition, and it's sort of who's if you if you dive deeper into who knows who, we're we're really just tracking the fact that everybody knows who Joe Biden was. He was the vice president. Um, but Robert, get some of your initial thoughts, and Rebecca, follow up with you.
2: Well, and the margin of error is not as much of a problem here because they'd be interesting with it. It's when we have it where you know, literally the the difference that someone is claiming is within the margin, which is. Uh, four points I see overall on the poll. And so Biden at 28 is lower than a lot of the national polls, and he's way behind Warren and Sanders together, which is certainly a similar voter one would expect. So I think that that's interesting. It shows this is a toss-up. I think the thing, and you pointed this out to me yesterday, Matthew, in the poll is the favorability, unfavorability ratings are extremely interesting because... uh, Biden and Bernie and Kamala Harris have pretty high unfavorable ratings, relatively speaking. Kamala does, given how much support she has generally or favorability. Whereas Elizabeth Warren has very low, and her spread is 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 you know between favorable unfavorable is large, and she's not that and she has not that well known. There, twenty seven percent haven't heard enough yeah. about her. There's, which they can't say of the others.
0: There's, she has really positive room to grow. Whereas the the split on on Harris isn't isn't as good her her favorables aren't nearly as high as they should be given how high her unfavorables are which you know I I I said it before. I before I'm my I think she really hurt herself when she walked away from Medicare for all and started walking away from some of what had been unusually unusual progressive positions given that she certainly has much more of a moderate. Uh, uh uh positioning and, and, and i think when and, she walked and, away from it, i think she lost some people who might have been up from the uh either undecided or considering uh sanders and warden and, and just said no 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 she's not there for me
2: in fairness to her on healthcare she has introduced something that's quite bold and radical compared to the current system. So she's tried to stake out this middle ground between Bernie and Elizabeth and between there's Biden just, and the others. And it hasn't worked. There really isn't a market for no oxygen there, There's private it's universal guaranteed health care with with a whole bunch of private insurance um, as In, well as part of the system there. But I can see she kind of overreacted to all the pundit stuff that people that, you know, and all the questions and debates claiming do you want your insurance taken away? Uh, kind of stuff and thought and took that as people like their, ins- their private insurance company, which Rebecca, really your don't. thoughts?
1: Um, I mean, I don't th- what strikes me about this is that uh, so many people haven't heard enough about Kamala Harris. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking or here. a lot
0: of these candidates, right, Rebecca?
1: Yeah, a, lo- a lot of them, but I mean, 41 percent, I mean, 41 people, I should say, um, hadn't heard. Um, enough about her. I don't know, uh, or 41%. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just kind of like looking at this for the first time, but I still think like, this confirms what I've thought which is that she has a lot of room to grow and that like as the field winnows down and the debate stages winnow down um, that as people get to know her, there might be more folks who dislike her, I like see what you're saying about you know, the unfavorable um, you know, the stats that we're looking at, but I think that there's a lot to like as well and people just like don't know. So I I think she has room to grow as well. I mean, what is interesting to me is the part of this poll where um, with like a smaller sample size, uh, they asked Democratic uh, voters there to rank their choices. And there's a lot of second like there's there's like first place support for Elizabeth Warren, but she has also a lot of second place support. Um, which The I highest. Think the highest. I mean, I, I, it would be interesting to talk about. I don't know if you guys want to talk about uh, it now. Uh, let's but go for it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to think about it. I mean, I think, you know, the uh, my guess um, based on our experiences at WFP and just kind of common sense is that sh- the first places for the people who are voting for Warren or p- putting Warren second place. I imagine their first place people are front runners who are not dropping out, by and large. So I'm not sure how much she benefits from that. I think the benefit is what you kind of said, that like over time, people will get to know more about her, and she has room to grow in that way.
2: Now, this is bad polling analysis, but kind of crazily, 20% support Bernie, and 20% have Elizabeth as their second choice. (laughs) It's tempting to think that those are the same people. (laughs)
1: I think it's I think it's an interesting snapshot in where Wisconsin is to me, like the most fascinating part are the matchups against Trump. Obviously, it's not anything you want to take to the bank this far out from the election. But it confirms a, a lot of my biases about um, I think it's right in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but about, for example, you know, when you put Senator Sanders up against President Trump, he does pretty well and he wins he went i mean yeah he wins there's like within the margin of error i he's think four points so it's yeah. still yeah. yeah um but he's, there's which is
0: second best totally all the candidates
1: totally and there are a lot of people who would have us think um in the democratic party outside the democratic party that he can never win and that he's a non-starter of a candidate but you know i i, I don't think that's true ever in general but specifically in wisconsin there's a lot of support for senator sanders and i think he you know, at least according to this one poll, does very well um, in a matchup against President Trump.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to bring that up too because I think um, one of the articles I actually put in for our uh, panel to read is Mark Pocan uh, talking about Trump becoming more unpopular and, and and going bad. And then there's one other thing that I want to point out um scott ross's new podcast released this morning that tommy thompson came in and was basically saying oh biden it's if it's biden you know you're gonna win but not sanders and warren which i thought was like such a stale old school like ideological spectrum kind of analysis when it's like Tommy, you haven't even looked at the latest polls, right? It's like there's no support for what you're saying. I mean, the polling says Sanders can win. You know, this is just straight he up also, old school. I want to throw shade on a Bernie or an Elizabeth type because they would be real change, whereas a
2: Biden's he also not that Tammy, far from Tommy. Remember, he thought Tammy Baldwin uh, was a weak candidate yes. for U.S. Senate, which was <laughs> the last uh, mistake of his illustrious political career.
0: Yeah, so I actually think, Rebecca, you're, you're on to something. I, I think that's one of the things this poll reveals. Since, since um, Elizabeth's essentially in a dead heat anyways with Trump, I think what you're seeing is any of these candidates can beat Trump. There's a huge opportunity, and some of them that aren't quite there. I think that's name recognition and just a lack of clarity. But the reality is the numbers for Trump have not fundamentally changed. He is still underwater. He's unpopular. When you go dive deeper into looking at independence on almost all issues, he's underwater by about 10 points, including uh, how the impact of the tariffs, uh, job approval ratings, whatever you look at, independents are still breaking against Trump um so i I, I, st- I think the fundamentals remain very solid and for for whoever wins the democratic primary
2: and only eight percent have have not heard enough about Joe Biden, so he sort of <laughs> topped out, and they right. would have been hearing this week they 're probably hearing too much because he 's getting more of the coverage because of the gaffes. The latest that he was apparently against the Iraq war all along is oh, no. dominating national headlines, and of course they 're able to report re- oh. to play recordings of the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's
0: unbelievable that he would try to make those arguments. Um,
2: But we got to take a break.
0: You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about presidential politics. Uh, Last section, we talked about it in the context of the new Marquette Law Poll. But uh, I did want to mention that uh, People's Action and Citizen Action, we're part of the People's Action Network, is having a presidential primary candidate forum in Des Moines, Iowa, on Saturday, September 21st. And we're going to be trying to bring about 50 folks from Wisconsin to the forum. Uh, And so if you're interested... Uh, please uh, drop us a line. You can uh, shoot me an email at map.brusky at citizenactionwi.org. We're going to take folks. uh, We'll have some vans that will leave from Milwaukee, I think uh, Eau Claire, La Crosse, Green Bay, and Wausau. Um, But this forum will be on our platform, our agenda. We'll be talking uh, to candidates about their vision and how it connects to our vision of the world. So this will not be like uh, your traditional CNN or mainstream forum. So it's a great opportunity to come and hear from the candidates on the issues we care about. Again, uh, Saturday, September 21st in Des Moines, Iowa. So let's talk more presidential. Um, There was an article that came out this week that got a lot of attention um, around the 10 counties that are going to decide the election. It's a little hyperbole. And anytime you come up with a list of 10, that sounds great. But it's very interesting because does show how while we often look at aggregate polling whether it be statewide or nationally to test where we're at this election often will be determined in some particularly critical regions of the state or of the country and this was an interesting look at particular counties and why i want to talk about it is wisconsin had one i'm sure we could have had a few more but sauk county was on the list robert um this is uh in the eastern part of the northeastern part of the driftless area uh a part that us here in Wisconsin are super familiar with because it's a it has historically been a swingy area of Wisconsin
2: and at citizen action we're organizing and organizing co-op there and Kevin Kane our, our our one of our senior organizers has been Building support there, so it's the perfect place now. Just for the literally minded right-wing trolls who listen to Battleground Wisconsin, of course it's a mathematical absurdity that these ten yes. counties would uh, <laughs> would decide the election. This is the concept of the bellwether, like how it plays in yes. Peoria. They're claiming these are representative, and the reason uh, the Hill gives for Sauk County is is that it is it is both kind of exurban and uh, so and rural and that the rural parts are trending more Republican, but it also has exurban parts that that relate more to the Madison metro area. So it's a classic swingy area. Plus this is, the Driftless area in general is one of the most historically blue rural areas in the country, so it's a lot more open and independent. So it really is, and it's one of the many pivot counties in Wisconsin that uh, voted for both Barack Obama and Donald Trump, Uh, which of course brings up the question again, Do people really vote on issues? Because it's uh, a little bit hard to imagine voting for both, but there you have it.
0: Well, uh, uh, before I get to Rebecca, nine out of the last ten presidential Sauk County is accurately predicted. So there is a little bit of bellwether there, Rebecca.
1: Do we really have literally-minded right-wing trolls? (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked that anyone would sit around and listen to me talk, let alone people who don't (laughs) agree with what we're saying.
2: (laughs) They have much energy and capacity for <laughs> ferreting out communism so and all unpleasant. of the other things they yes. hate. They should go Have watch you a met movie.
0: these people? They're, <laughs> they generally have the disposition of the retiring congressman
1: I,
2: from
0: Waukesha. Oh, so <laughs> so from Menominee sorry. Falls.
1: crusty. Oh, gosh. It's one life to live High such a limited for time pain. on this planet. And they're just making themselves miserable. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that this is interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that people probably are voting on issues when when they vote for these candidates. I mean, I, I I just think we've talked about this ad nauseum a million times. So I don't want to really get into it, but like our two-party system and like the way in which uh, nominees are chosen doesn't re- isn't very inclusive of folks who are like not wealthy. So I think people feel left out of the process. Yeah. I think that might be part of what's happening, well, I not just the whole was, story. But. That was
2: partly reflected by the Marquette poll where aren't the Republicans the party of free trade? Of course, it's not really free. It's corporate trade. But given their term, 47% of Republicans think tariffs help the economy now. <laughs> hmm... And only 12% of Democrats, the Protectionist Party, do. Hmm. So I would just say, is it issues or is it which side, which team am I on? Which tribe am I on? (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. (laughs) Clearly, clearly there's a lot of that going on. But to your point, the Republican Party before Trump would have been a complete free trader party. Not that Trump isn't really still um, in many... Corporate corporate (laughs) rig trade. But, But... that didn't really speak to a lot of the republican voters right it's just been suppressed and trump obviously figured this out and decided i'm going to raise that and i'm going to steal some people from the other side right that that feel the same way and as you said rebecca right like feel like the democratic party doesn't speak and doesn't stand up against corporate abuses of workers at at a level that it ought to given its you know who it who it mostly should represent So those folks are right to have been perked or, you know, sparked by Trump or anyone who comes in and actually tries to talk in a populist way about taking on corporate abuses. Um, And then he, of course, we we can't forget about race. Right. Obviously, that just.
2: Well, no, no, that's the danger he's taking on. The whole global trade, corporate global trading regime, and the danger is—it's the danger to the moderate Democrats that they don't have an alternative. They, as Hillary, seem to in the debate, seem to support NAFTA and GATT and TPP and everything else. Only Bernie and Elizabeth really have well-staked out. Here is the global trading order we would create that's not corporate-dominated.
1: I—I'm just kind of looking at this article for the first time. Where do you know where this appeared? This Ten County. Article? The Hill. The Hill. The Hill. The Hill. Um, apologies to listeners. I did not look at anything on my vacation at all. Um, I was on a farm (laughs) a lot of the time. (laughs) But you're but you're a quick prep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I I this is like kind of interesting. I was looking at the language about how they came up with these counties to see if they were saying it was just like indicative or like determinative. It seems like they're saying it's determinative. I mean I, I think I mean, I don't think we have to go into much detail with each other or with listeners about how like ridiculous it is to say we're going to win or lose wisconsin based on south county it's also like it's offensive right in terms of like the overall effort and also like voters of color and like all these like really important things that are happening in the state but um but it's interesting to think about how it could be indicative of like which way the wind is blowing i don't know
0: to me it well first of all most of the counties they pick are in really critical states and things like that so there's a whole lot this is about To some extent, this thing's clickbait, right? Because it's a great list. Total
1: clickbait. Right, and and all
0: of that. But it's interesting in that there is definitely something in Sauk County that's of interest, but is Sauk County in and of itself the one that's deciding this? Of course, that's ludicrous. But it's a fascinating way to go look in and talk about how there are key particular areas that seem to, over time, um, move or have some of the sways uh, of the populace. Robert?
2: It's a distorted picture. Rebecca's right. I mean, I see what they're getting at. Wisconsin, uh, voting age population is 90% white, so you would think that influenced the election. But guess what? If we don't do really among, among the 10% persons of color, we lose two. So that's the thing here, right? So um, it is... It is unreflective, but it's not as cool. This is like messaging clickbait, you're right, for, for Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you don't want to have this complicated picture that turnout and enthusiasm in Wisconsin's urban areas is is also critically important in these razor-thin elections. It's much easier to say, here are the 10 counties to look at, Erie County, Pennsylvania, Sauk County, Wisconsin, and so on.
0: And and here's where I disagree with, or or at least... With traditional political prognostication or what, like, say, uh, t- uh, Tommy Thompson was saying. See, where I think they go wrong is the polling, the Marquette poll shows Sanders, like, can win, right? But it, it basically relies on sampling, right? I think there's a lot of voters who care about the exact same thing voters in Milwaukee or people of color care about. And they don't get talked to. They get assumed by Tommy Thompson that they're in some center, like... With their finger up, deciding, oh, that guy or she's too liberal, right? There's none of that going on. If anything, we need to energize in the rural areas, all across the state, working people who feel left out by corporate abuses, by the power, right? And that's people of all races, right? And they live in Sauk, just like they live in Milwaukee. And Tommy Thompson thinks, it's a someone like a Biden in the middle who won't offend them or whatever, somehow, or won't be too left or too radical, that that will somehow get them. I think most folks have already decided their tribe, and we saw that, we see that in the polling. So, who's, who's, how do you grow it then? You grow up by getting more people out, and more people will be excited. And I, I do think there's still large swaths of, of folks everywhere, no matter where you live, who yep. need to be excited by a progressive, exciting candidate, not the center
2: there are two issues growing turning out and expanding the the vote of either the two major existing tribes Or dealing with that bizarrely conflicted tribe that seems to be on the one hand on the other, which is the independents.
0: I think that that's largely overblown. I think most of those independents actually have strong ideological convictions. They just don't care for the parties and don't like to be associated as a Democrat or Republican. I think there's a
2: bunch of those, but I think there are some that it's a much smaller percentage of them, maybe maybe 10% of them, that literally are cross-pressured. Yeah, I think. But you're right. The yeah, whole independent I, category is a lot of those people are really shadow partisans in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at the Marquette poll; it's not showing up much. I mean, Biden only gets a couple points, right? And I think that's largely name recognition. But with that, we got to wrap this up. We got one more segment to do here at the battleground Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Want to remind all our listeners, we have our Brewfest coming up Thursday, September 19th here in Milwaukee. Please come on out. We'll have details on the website. Um, want to talk about news that broke this week in the Wisconsin Examiner, um, which we want to promote on this podcast because we think they're doing amazing work. And this story is exactly one. In fact, it should be in every <laughs> every media. And it's about the open records request that... Um, was done to try and look into how what was the public comment to state legislators' office during the lame duck um, special session? And folks remember last December uh, we had the very famous lame duck session. And this 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 is interesting on two accounts. One is not surprisingly, 14 state Republican legislators attempted to not just turn over the information, charge $1,000 to get PDFs printed off, went went way out of their way to try to basically not provide the information, Mm -hmm. which is appalling. Um, And we know why. Uh, 98% of nearly 50,000 contacts were opposed to the lame duck session. So overwhelming, like overwhelming support uh, or uh, opposition to what the Republicans were doing. And... um, you know, And it's not like this was a trickle, right? This was tens of thousands of, of contacts, which I just got to say, I'm heartened by the amount of people that actually reached out during the lame duck and had their voices heard. And it just only more lays bare how appalling uh, the democracy is here in this country, both uh, because of gerrymandering and this disconnect. Rebecca?
1: I hope this gets picked up by the national press. I assume it, it will, right? I mean, it's it quite came a out story. earlier this
0: week. I haven't seen it anywhere else. I'm.
1: Someone's got to send it to Charles Pierce. I'll tweet him.
2: <laughs> no, no, it was Wisconsin uh, what radio covered it, too. They, I know this okay. is the Wisconsin Examiner, I think. Is yeah. what, what you well, they're the one who yeah. broke it. They yeah. did the
0: story, did the extensive, and got it out there. This
2: Again.
1: picture of Sheila Plotkin, yeah. who's so, the citizen, teacher-turned-citizen yeah. activist, is really great. So.
2: Well, first of all, it shows that there's still some semblance of open markets laws in the, in the state, and uh, they were not totally banished during the Walker reign. Um, this explains what we all know, but it, it bears repeating over and over again that this is an illegitimate legislature, right? And no legislature would actually do this that actually had competitive elections, a majority, it actually would face voters for doing something unpopular. But if you stack the districts enough, it doesn't matter what you do, which is of course, this is why the federal courts and the and the right wing US Supreme Court is so frustrating on gerrymandering. How can this even be a smaller Republican form of government if literally there's no accountability whatsoever, no matter what you do? And what people forget, and remember Medicaid expansion was the big one, the budget, overwhelmingly popular. We haven't done the open records request, but we should. Uh, at Citizen Plotkin, action, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, give us a call. We'd <laughs> like to uh, uh, turn this into a career because you are amazing.
2: And they just ignored it, right? Same thing happened. And you have these districts where you have a 63 to 36 Republican majority when Democrats got 54% of the votes in the state assembly, right? And so people forget I mean, this is where, where history is helpful. In the 19th century, Congress used to turn over, and so did the Wisconsin State Legislature, extremely regularly. People didn't serve 10 terms unless they were really incredible dynamos, right? And in the Kansas Nebraska Act of 1854, which was the big compromise to try to, uh, to hold off this war, one of the big compromises where they legalized slavery in all the territories if they had a vote, to legalize it, right? Um, literally, the Democrat Democrats had ninety seats in Congress in the North. They lost seventy-eight of them. Now, you've never our big landslides are never like that because at the congressional level, the state legislative level, the seats are set up and then the elections, these big money elections where these folks aren't really accountable. So this just shows how far democracy has gone that the majority could feel comfortable in doing what they did in the lame duck power grab when the public was this adamantly opposed to it.
0: Give you folks a flavor, Voss. So like this wasn't like, Oh, crooked numbers coming from democratic districts. Scott, uh, Robin Voss's district, he received 7,593 messages. By the way, that's a ton of messages yeah. over like a month, right? Or, and, and of them, only 124 were in favor, right? So like this guy's getting information. His office is getting pounded. I mean, that means calls are, th- these things are coming in every hour. It's just like almost nonstop. And he's and, the
2: strict father to use the uh, right-wing, right-wing idea. And he doesn't care because he's Right. I mean, that's literally the attitude. That's not an appropriate attitude for a representative leader, someone who's supposed to represent the people in some fashion.
0: Yeah, and and of course the other thing that is in this is that these legislators tried not to turn this over. They wanted to charge $1,000 printed on paper they're telling them we're going to print this only on paper for you. Classic. Yeah, it's like which, by the way, is a waste of money and resources to just basically try to, uh, you know, not have sunshine or democracy. The pre-digital age,
2: right? It's, just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable,
0: and so she had to go to court to force them to put this shit on PDFs, right? It's unbelievable. So this story is fascinating for two separate reasons, Uh, both the data that's found out, but also just, again, how anti-democratic these gerrymandered legislators are. Uh, and, And, of course, we know how bad... This legislation was. We've been talking about it, and it has not ended this week. Um, We've had the situation with call around these court cases and the the joint finance committee we talked about on the podcast last week. They can't even figure out how to implement the garbage they passed last cycle, and it's going to cost us. It's going to cost potentially uh, us money if we don't get these lawsuits right.
1: Yeah, I mean, the entire country is... People talk to me about this all the time. People who've never been to Wisconsin who probably couldn't even point it out on a map are like, oh, yeah, I heard about what happened. You you know, they don't call it the lame duck, but, like, this is something that the entire country is aware of. Um, It's a national embarrassment, and uh, it's continuing to play out. I mean, what's happening with the attorney general is, like, not surprising from the <laughs> finely crafted
2: lame duck legislation <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like
1: could totally have been predicted and expected but is is pretty disturbing for sure and um, the only
2: reason we're not in the texas versus u.s lawsuit to rem- to kick 22 million people off health care and re-legalize the pre-existing discrimination is because of the brief amount of time that a lower court had struck down the lame duck rules otherwise we'd still be in that god-awful lawsuit
1: hey speaking of the wisconsin examiner did either of you see the interview that the new State Democratic Party chair did um Ben Wickler with them?
0: I did. It was interesting. Yes it was. Yeah. Do you uh, anything in particular you wanted to chat about?
1: I mean I know we don't have it in front of us but I I thought if folks didn't see it and they're curious I I think it to me I I can't imagine um the former chair Martha Lanning ever giving an interview like that and I thought it was like kind of interesting insight into what, what he's What thinking. was
0: particular in the interview that you thought was most in- interesting that Martha might not have done
1: well I thought I think he speaks with like intelligence and nuance around elections and race and like the need for us all like us all together to be you know finding solutions and 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 building these coalitions which is like something that I think um democrats traditionally have really struggled with and like even current presidential candidates i think struggle with so i don't know it'd be i don't know if you've seen it Robert. you should check it out Uh, i'll make sure to put a link i'll have a
0: link to to it um and again you know the wisconsin examiner is doing excellent reporting um we talked about it rebecca last week how the journal sentinel came out it might have been two weeks ago came out slamming the examiner and trying to say that it wasn't legitimate journalism really? and that it was just liberal, <laughs> number of different, and biased. Instance,
2: Bruce Murphy in Urban Milwaukee did a good piece. Comp- nothing compiling at all. Nothing,
0: yeah. nothing though that ever points out that somehow they're doing faulty journalism. And if anything. The Journal Sentinel has repeated stories that have been broken in the Examiner. That's what Bruce Murphy given, shows and given virtually no no credit, no like claim. They it.
2: heard it. The reporter in one said, "I think I heard it somewhere else." It was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Do think so?
0: And yeah. by the way, shame on them. This story needs to be in the Journal Sentinel. It yeah, needs to be in national press. Needs AP. to be, it needs to be all out.
1: Absolutely.
2: Because this is this is just well, maybe huge record. It is. Maybe we just couldn't get beyond the paywall. Who knows? <laughs> oh. Huge,
1: uh, huge story. <laughs>
2: So in this, of course, the other lame duck thing is the continued standoff between the attorney general and the Joint Finance Committee on the requirement that they approve all legal settlements out of the lame duck session. And it looked like there was going to be a settlement because guess what? Everyone else, all the other attorney generals, needs lawsuits. And the plaintiffs, like pharmaceutical corporations, don't want everything in the trial leaking out. That's the whole point of a settlement. But then they pulled out again. And I noticed they must have done some polling. Because uh, John Nygren, uh co-chair of Joint Finance, is now calling them not confidentiality agreements, but secrecy agreements, right? Yes, and I can just tell you, by the way, having a confidential agreement is not the scary thing they want to make it. I mean... Citizen Action is an employer, and in the rare instances we have a personnel issue and a board members want to talk about it, we say that you're this is confidential, right? And there's an understanding that you're not going and broadcasting, you know, private personnel information, right? And but this is way too much. No wonder I guess they're really qualified to work on lawsuits, aren't they? And to be in settlements that they won't even sign a confidentiality agreement in confidential lawsuit settlements.
0: Well, we'll continue to track the fallout from the lame duck, uh, but we have got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Before we go, do want to remind folks in uh, north-central Wisconsin in the Wausau area, our north-central co-op next week on Wednesday, we'll be having an event with um, Sarah Gudlewski on the role of the state treasurer. It's a public forum where she'll update you on uh, her agenda and what she's been doing. She's been on the podcast regular, including next week. Um, talking about it but you get a chance to meet her so uh, get out uh, 6 p.m. next Wednesday September 11th Marathon County Public Library with that we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin we want to thank our producer Brian Wildridge who makes it happen every week and we're really happy to have Rebecca Lynch back and we'll see you next week here from Wisconsin